Good morning, Calvary Church. If you will, I would like for you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah, the 24th chapter. In the book of Jeremiah, the 24th chapter, we find in the very first verse, after Nebuchadnezzar, after King Nebi, king of Babylon, had carried away captive Jaconia, the son of Joachim, king of Judah, and the officials of Judah, with the craftsmen and smiths from Jerusalem, and had brought them to Babylon, the prophet Jeremiah says, the Lord showed me, behold, two baskets of figs set before the temple of the Lord. One basket had very good figs, like first ripe figs, and the other basket had very bad figs, which could not be eaten due to rottenness. Then the Lord said to me, what do you see, Jeremiah? And I said, figs. The good figs, very good, and the bad figs, very bad, which cannot be eaten due to rottenness. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, verse five, thus says the Lord God of Israel, like these good figs, so I will regard as good the captives of Judah, whom I have sent out of this place into the land of the Chaldeans. For I will set my eyes on them for good, and I will bring them again to this land, and I will build them up and not overthrow them, and I will plant them and not pluck them up. Verse 7. I will give them a heart to know me. For I am the Lord, and they will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with their whole heart. Verse 8, but like the bad, fig, the bad figs, which cannot be eaten due to rottenness, Indeed, says the Lord, so I will 
abandon Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his officials, and the remnant of Jerusalem who remain in this land, and the ones who dwell in the land of Egypt. I will make them a terror and an evil for all the kingdoms of the earth as a reproach in a proverb, a taunt and a curse in all places where I scattered them. I will send the sword, the famine, and the pestilence upon them until they are destroyed from the land which I gave to them and their forefathers. The word of the Lord. Spirit of the living God, we, we need you to illumine your word and to stir us in our hearts today. Speak, Lord, use me as your vessel. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Last week, I began the first of this two-part message, interlocking moments of history. Last week, I shared that throughout the Bible and up to this juncture of these days that we are in, these days before us, are interlocking moments of history that contributed vitality and meaning to the whole emerging mass of divine blessing, divine declaration that comes from the Lord. He says in verse seven, I will give them a heart to know me, for I am the Lord, and they will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with their whole heart. Last week, I, I shared about, about uh, how the Lord God himself has many times throughout scripture given a declaration, a pledge, an oath to his people. And in such divine statements that we extract out of scripture, we can hear clearly that God himself will freely do or be something for his people for nations, and the general nature, I would say, of his declaration expresses his character and call on our lives. When we look at the moment that we are in right now, we can see the interlocking moments of history stemming all the way back to Abraham, stemming all the way back to Moses, all throughout scripture, even today. And when we look at what's happening all around us, what's happening in our lives, what's happening in this, this, this state, what's happening in this nation, and what's happening all over the world, don't be surprised. It's very interesting in the text, Right out of the hopper, we read Jeremiah saw two baskets 
two baskets of figs in front of the church, in front of the temple, in front of the house of God. Uh, last week I mentioned about the tripart formula, a promise of God, and I uh, 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 shared about the first part I talked about in Genesis chapter 17. I read with you uh, the scripture where, where the Lord says, says, I will be a God to you. Not a small G, capital G. I will be a God to you and to your descendants after you. I will continue this everlasting covenant between us, it says, generation after generation. It will continue between me and you and your offspring forever. A declaration that has interlocking moments in history. Expressed to Abraham's generation and in the yet to come descendants and even into the now. I share with you a second part of this tripart formula of promise. Extracting out of Exodus chapter six where, where the Lord says to Moses, he says, I am the Lord. And I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them, says the Lord, to give, he says to Moses, to give them the land of Canaan, the land which they sojourned. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the sons of Israel because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage and I have remembered my covenant. Then here's, here's the key of this second tripart formula of promise where he says in verse six and seven, he says, Therefore, to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the bondage of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. A declaration, interlocking moments in history. The Lord promises action. You see, with Moses, he looks to the past and says, let me tell you four things I have already done. Here with Israel, he looks to the future and says, let me tell you seven things that I'm going to do. So you hear the seven I wills from the Lord. In Exodus 
29, uh, verses 45 to 46, there's this third tripart I mentioned last week, a promise that I'm defining, and that is the Lord says, I will dwell in your midst. I will be, and I will be your God, and, and you shall be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of you. Interlocking moments in history that contributed vitality and meaning to the emerging mass of divine blessing, a giving word from the Lord, a declaration from him, a pledge, an oath that God himself will freely do or be something for you and I. Then I went a little further last week and I ended it with John's prologue. His prologue, where he was sharing more of the central action of God's blessing. The central action of God's blessing and promise. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things came into being through him and apart from him. He's talking about Jesus Christ. He was in the world, the world came into being through him. He came to his own, his own people did not accept him, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. The word became flesh. An interlocking moment of history, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Remember the Lord God said back in Exodus 29, I would dwell in their midst. And now John writes, and we saw his glory. Glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. So here we are this morning on White Plains Road. The Lord God said, I will be in your midst. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, in this moment of history and his spirit of God. We gather in this house and I would presume that many of you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Many of you have repented of your ways, but I don't know. That's between you and God. And maybe there are some here who have not received Christ. But I stopped by on this second opportunity of this month to share a little more about these interlocking moments in history where God's covenantal blessings given in scripture are even being manifested <laughs> in the now, in real time. 
the revealing promises of God, his word, his pledge. God has given me heavy this verse again in Jeremiah. In this seventh verse of Jeremiah, he says, I will give them a heart to know me. We can come and gather. We can sing these songs of praise. But the Lord says in this particular passage of scripture, he says, I will give them a heart to know me. There are many people who says, yeah, I believe in Jesus. But the Lord wants us to know him. We're living in a time in a day where many in our culture and in our society, those around us, wherever you go, don't know him. And quite frankly, many of us who are so-called Christians, we conduct, I look at my own life, we conduct ourselves at times as though we really don't know him. He says, I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. It's not about what's happening, it's about the Lord. He says, I am the Lord, they will be my people and I will be their God, and then there's a because right in there because they will return to me with all their heart. Yeah, the, clo the church was shut down for COVID. It's a whole lot of things have shifted. What is the Lord speaking, many are asking. I'm here on this July, this wet July Sunday to share with you the Lord has not changed. He is saying to his remnant in this land and to the remnant all over this world, return to me wholeheartedly. He's saying to Robert Turner and he's saying to you and I, it's no longer business as usual. Time is short. When I looked at this passage of scripture prior to this verse seven, the previous verses speak of the good and bad figs. I don't know about you, but when I read that Jeremiah had showed these two baskets of figs, and where was it? In front of the church. Where was it? In front of the temple. In front of the house of the Lord. Mm. The prophet Jeremiah says in verse one that the Lord showed him these two baskets. One basket, very good figs. You would think in front of the house of the Lord should be two baskets two baskets of good, eatable figs. But no, there were two baskets, one bad, good fruit. One bad, one good fruit. One with rotten fig, the other with very good 
fait. That's what the Lord asked Jeremiah, what do you see? And then he says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, like these good figs, so I regard as good the exiles. You know, God has a way to put us in exile. Some of us, and I know in my own life, I like to be comfortable. I want to be in the comfortable zone. Lord, all of these stresses and troubles and pains and hurts and suffering, I'm praying, relieve me, Lord. Make me comfortable. But when the Lord sends us as his people into exile, we need to tune our ears and we need to pay attention to what the Lord is doing and what he wants to do. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? No. So I regard as good the exile. What are exiles? It, 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 uh, the state or period of, of force or voluntarily taken out of your country or your home. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, like these good figs, so I regard as good the exiles from Judah. I sent away from this place to the land of the Babylonians, Chaldeans. But this is what he says, I, I've sent them to the land of the Babylonians, but he says, I will keep my eyes on them. I will keep my eyes on them for their good and will return them to this land. He says, I will build them up and not demolish them. I will plant them and not uproot them. One might think the exiles were the bad figs. And the latter, the good figs, but not so. The exiles went to Babylon. Actually, they were sent away by the Lord. They went with his promise of restoration once their hearts had turned fully back to him. This passage holds out some comprehensive promises of future blessings of a spiritual turning to the Lord. So even in the midst of what we're experiencing in this nation, what we're experiencing in our time, same thing. The Lord wants his people to return to him with a whole heart. God would look to them with favor on them. We see in verse six, he says, I will set my eyes on them. Wow, yes. You know what appeared to be disaster in 597 BC? 
what appeared to be all disaster, the Lord will overrule for good. Judgment will have its intended result. What happened in 2020, 2021, may seem like all disaster. What's happening right now may be all seem to be nothing but disaster. And quite frankly, we've got more disaster coming. And it's not just a singular disaster, but it's disaster and disasters, stores, plural, and disaster after disaster after disaster. But the Lord overrules for his good. Physical restoration to the land will be followed by spiritual renewal. I believe this is a time for you and I to have spiritual renewal in our own lives. He says, return to me with their whole heart. The heart includes my emotion. The heart includes your emotion, our ethical and intellectual life. Jeremiah and the Old Testament prophets were commissioned by God to call the nations to repent of their, her transgressions. The fault lay with people and their sins. The Lord is looking for our hearts to return to him. The heart stands for the whole mind and will. So examining these times, we are experiencing disaster upon disaster, interlocking moments in history. We find ourselves interlocking these moments of people's lives turned away from the Lord, rebellion against his will, rebellion against his will to accommodate our own desires, our idolatrous ways. Brokenness exists all around us. Many around us are religious, but don't know the Lord. We've got work to do. Let me say that again. Many around us are religious, but don't know the Lord. In this nation, and world over, people are confused with the secular and the so-called religious. You see, a secular person is defined as one who is not connected to anything religious or spiritual. Let me, let me, let me say that again. A secular person is defined as one who is not connected to anything religious or spiritual. Secular cultures seek to exclude anything and everything related to personal faith and religion from the public arena. Hear me now. I'm sorry, I didn't come this morning to make you feel, feel, feel good. 
I come to bring you the word of God and sometimes that word is convicting and causes us to respond in obedience with a repentive heart. See, in this, in, 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 in these interlocking, in, 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 in the interlocking moments of history, many believe organized religion is as best suspect and at worst to be avoided because of extremism. Come on now. In this nation, we say one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty. Some of us are so caught up in our freedoms that even the secular world, when they look into what's going on in the church, they say in this moment, it seems like organized religion is at best suspect or even worse than what I am. My wife points out to me, even, even the things and meeting the needs and coming alongside people's lives, we find outside the church, they seem to be doing it even better than us. Oh, help me, Lord. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't mean to come in here and step on nobody, but has evangelical Christianity in this country become political, secular extremism? I have to ask the question. Last I checked my Bible, God is neither Democrat or Republican. Some of us are more concerned about the flag than we are about our own faith and our own personal work. And, and then we sing about the cross on Sunday. Help me, Lord. Jesus, to many, remains an intriguing and compelling figure in human history. Yet the church is struggling because we have not been a true witness in our culture as a people who conduct themselves from a heart of knowing the Lord and following Christ Jesus in our everyday lives. And for that, I had to repent. What about you? The U.S. church has failed to reflect the light of the world, Christ Jesus. We have allowed ourselves to be caught up in the idolatry in this nation and the world. And are we just in theology, but not in our practice, showing Jesus' teachings on love, compassion, equity, justice, and human dignity are values that secular individuals can find attractive? There's a whole lot of folks who don't know the Lord, but are on the bandwagon of trying to show compassion and love and concern for those who are broken. Mm. The question is, how can ministries create safe places for people to experience love? Ask questions about life. And you sang that song in the very beginning, the worship song about in him is life. How can ministries create safe places for people to experience love, ask questions about life, religion, and God, and hear the teachings of Jesus Christ in a time such as this? Eugene Peterson writes, when we submit our lives to what we read in scripture, we find that we are not being led 
to see God in our stories, but our stories in God's. God is the larger context and plot in which our stories find themselves. There's a difference. So I asked the question, do you want people to see God in your stories? But do you want your stories in God's? The interlocking moments of history means our stories are in God's story. God is the larger context. Not you and I, not your story or my story. It's all about his story. In these times, we're called to authentically discover God. The Lord is piercing through the darkness and the heat in this world. He is cleaning up, humbled, repented, yielded men and women, forgiving and empowering us to live and serve our families and communities to accomplish his work. It's all about his work. Can I get an amen? amen. Brothers and sisters, a clarion call as I close in, close in this interlocking moment of history of our time, the living generations of this day is for us to yield and turn to the Lord. We have allowed the enemy of God to take us hostage and God has allowed his people to be taken in exile. But he wants to bring us back away from our ways. He wants to build us up with a heart to know him, to live for him, to serve him in these trying times. We're all in transition. Health crisis, race crisis, politics, economic crisis can't be an excuse to succumb to the way of the world. The evangelical church is in a crisis. Why? Because we have just talented so much about the word, the word, the word, the word, the word. And the secular world is saying, <laughs> where's your practice of that word? I was reminded over and over again how in scripture the Lord says, return to me. Repent of your ways. He wants us to know him. He wants you and I to serve him like we've never done before. And I read what Paul said. Paul says, speaks about the fellowship of his suffering. And when I look at my life, I say, I, in my actions, try to avoid, run from the suffering. In these days and times, we must be willing to do and to receive and go through the sufferings of Christ. It's very interesting. 
Jesus bore our sins. He bore so much on that cross. I've been here many Good Fridays. We have all these messages about what he endured on that cross for our sake. We sing and we praise God for shedding his blood. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and he suffered so much, but yet as believers of Christ, we have to ask ourselves, how much are we willing to suffer for his name's sake? Let's repent of our ways. Let's turn to him because the Lord says, behold, I am doing a new thing and it's not business as usual. Father God, I ask for breakthrough in me and each person here and in all our families and through this church. May we step out of our comfort zone and allow you as you have placed us in this exile of life to turn our hearts wholeheartedly to you. Breakthrough, Lord, in this land and across this world and make many come to know you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.